0: guys join me in uh, the book of James. We're going to take a look at uh, what the Lord has for us this morning. Excited about what God's been doing as we've uh, come together to this incredible book. And uh, man, just excited about all the things that the Lord is teaching us here. So we'll take a look at James chapter 1. We'll just read the first together says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded. Unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father God we come before you this morning Lord. And we pray God that you would open our eyes to the beauty of your word. God that you would declare through your word, God, the things that you have laid out for us. And Lord, it's our desire that we would be able to see, to receive, to know and understand, God, the things that your word is teaching us. For it is your word that transforms us into the image of your Son. God, I pray that our hearts will be open to receive, our ears open to hear all that your word has for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you remember last time when we started the book of James, we talked about the first couple of verses and the concept of letting joy lead you out. Everybody remember? Joy is going to lead us out. We're going to allow joy to lead us. And that joy is found where? In the presence of our Lord, right? So if we're in the presence of our Lord, we have joy. It doesn't come from me. I can't bring it out of me. Now, I want you to understand as we work our way through, we're looking at... How God would give us victory over our trials, how He would have us live through the hard things of life. Now, I don't know if if, if uh, I don't I don't know if people tell you the that, that life's not going to be hard anymore or not. I think we all kind of got that figured out, right? That uh, there's there's two things that I've learned in the Bible: life is hard and God is good, and those two things are foundational. To, to what we do. Now when he tells us. Count it all joy. As you fall into various trials. As he laid out the concept of those fiery trials. Remember we talked about. Those are just typical life expectations. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 tells us that. No temptation has overtaken you. Except what is common to all men. Meaning we all have a road to walk. And sometimes the road we walk has hard things on it. And sometimes it don't. And as we look at those things, He wants us to allow joy to lead us out. Let joy lead you out. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength, and that strength is found in the presence of God. And one of the things we really need to grasp with is this idea that you need to be in a loyal love relationship with the God of the universe. If you are not, Jesus said, You are either what? For me or against me. There's no middle. There's no fence to sit on. It's in or out. And we want to be, desperately want to be in a, in a loyal love relationship with God. And God wants that from us. In Hosea chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. You got a, t- a chance, look it up. It'll tell you that this is what God desires from you. In the great Shema, right? Hero Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is. And you shall love the Lord your God with how much? Okay, so we get the idea? So this is something that God is looking for from us. But I want you to understand, like joy, where is that loyal love found? In the presence of God. I, am not, I cannot churn it up. I'm not going I don't know what to eat to make that happen. I don't know what to eat to make joy happen. Joy happens when I'm in the presence of God. I don't know what to do to make that kind of love, faithful, loyal love, express out of me except being in the presence of God. So as we look at the beginning of the book of James, I want you to understand, we're going to be taking little chunks all the way through the first chapter as we work our way through. But as we do, I want you to understand that that's a theme. Your answers are found in the presence of God. In that relationship with Him. What was it? A couple weeks ago we had a marriage retreat and we we did the book of Hosea. I, I told folks, be surprised, because you'll probably never do a marriage retreat out of the book of Hosea. <clears throat> but we did. Why? Because that's the point of the book of Hosea. That God loves you so faithfully, but He wants you in His presence. And the story of Gomer, Hosea's wife, is she didn't want to be in with Gomer, right? She wanted to be out with everybody else. And then God said, hey, that's the way my people are to me. I want to be with them more than anything. But they just don't want to be with me. And the end of the story, what happens? Hosea goes, and, and after everything in her life has been taken away, she's had to sell herself into slavery he goes and buys her for 15 shekels of silver and about 9 bushels of barley. So just so you know, a price of a slave gored by a bull is 30 pieces of silver. That should sound familiar, by the way. Did that ring a bell, 30 pieces of silver? So a price of a slave gored by a bull. I don't know what good a slave gored by a bull is, but they're worth 30 pieces of silver. So she got 15. Nine bushels of barley, something you feed your animals. But Gomer bought her back and said, you'll be with me. And I'll be your husband. And you'll be my wife. And then God said, that's what I want from my people. Is there a distance God won't travel for you? Was there something else he could have given other than the monogamous, the the one and only son? The Scripture declares, if He has given us His one and only Son, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Where's the all things that we need for the fiery trials? Where's the all things of life? Where's the things where Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly? Where is all of that? In the presence of God we spend a lot of time trying to figure out programs and read a lot of great books about how to do this and how to do that to help us be one thing or another. But the most important thing, be in the presence of God. If you're not in His presence, you won't have joy. If you're not in His presence, you won't be able to love the way He's called you to love. And today, as we look at the Scripture, if you're not in His presence, you won't have Wisdom. Anybody need that? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I can use it. <clears throat> Here's what the Bible declares to us. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So the first thing we want to understand, if we want wisdom, just like joy, just like love, it's found in the presence of God. We're going to see that the first thing we need to understand about it is we need to know we need it. We need to know we need and are experiencing the loyal love of God. We need to know that we need the joy of the Lord. We need to know that. If you don't know that stuff, it doesn't matter to you. You don't care. It's like, uh, well, why would I want to do any of that stuff? It none of that makes any sense to me. It's just dumb. So the first thing he starts with is this, is this question. If any of you needs wisdom, now that word if is what's called a first class conditional clause in the Greek, which means fancy words for uh, it means everyone lacks wisdom. That's his point. How many people need love? Everybody. How many people need joy? Everybody. I don't care. I'm the biggest sour puss to everybody, and I know I need joy, so I'm pretty sure that everybody knows they need it. We need, there's things in our life we need. If you don't know you need a Savior, what value is a Savior to you? If you don't know you need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash you white as snow, what good is it? So it begins with that idea. Do you know you need it? Do you know that you need wisdom? If you've got your Bibles open in front of you and you don't mind flipping, if you don't flip it will pop up on the screen, but we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 3 for a concept to, to, to kind of work our way through. There's one guy in particular we can go back to and we can see (coughs) who knew he needed wisdom and asked for it. In 1 Kings chapter 3, this is him speaking. In verse 7 it says, And now, O Lord my God, You have made Your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. Little, no bar mitzvah yet. he's a kid. he's a kid. You know how many eight-year- olds want to be President of the United States? A few, right? But if they get the job, good or bad. Some of you might say we have eight- year- old as President of the United States. <laughs> sorry, that was cheap, but it was so easy. It was on a tee in front of me. <clears throat> Just, but the idea the idea, sorry. I'm going to get get a bunch of emails about that later. Um, So the idea is, hey, here's this child. He's going to be king of the whole nation of Israel, right? King of it all. But he he goes, Lord, you've made me king instead of my father David, and I don't know what I'm doing. Did you read that? I don't know how to go out or come in. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. There's ways you're supposed to walk into the temple, ways you're supposed to walk out, ways you're supposed to come into the palace, how you're supposed to... He's like, I don't know how to do any of this. I'm a kid. I'm just a kid. I don't know what I'm doing. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. He's like, man, there's a lot of people that depend on me. And I'm a kid. What did he know? I need wisdom. Where did he go? God. <clears throat> he went to the Lord. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. Pleased him. God was stoked. Why was he stoked? Because, because Solomon knew he needed something that only God could give. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that there are things that you need that only God can give? And you can try to get them in a million other places. I've done it all. I run down all those roads of trying to find all those pieces, developing my own understanding, my own wisdom, my own knowledge, f- trying to figure out how to work up within myself the, the ability to love my wife, the ability to father my children, the ability to father my grandchildren. I try to pull all that stuff out of me but do you know what the Bible says the Bible says through the apostle Paul I know that in me nothing good dwells so the reserve the pool from which I draw to try to work up something good that this were admittedly we see good things happening in the world but the pool through which I'm drawing that is defiled already so that the word of God would declare that the best I could do is filthy rags. It pleased God because Solomon recognized he had a need that only God could fill. He had a need only God could fill. C.S. Lewis said, if we go throughout this world looking for something to satisfy, and we can't find that thing which satisfies, the conclusion that we should come to is we were not made for this world. There's something outside of this that brings that satisfaction. And that something has been revealed to us through the Word of God. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to recognize our need. First part, (coughs) in dealing with wisdom. Let's look at Job 28. Job is responding to his friends, and he has something to say about wisdom. Job 28 He says, but where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Job's asking the question. Now you guys all know Job had a hard deal, right? Everybody okay with that? Does anybody not know Job had it rough? Like in less than 24 hours, he literally lost everything. All his kids, all his money, all his stuff, everything gone. So Job is wrestling with that, right? He's wrestling with, how'd my life get like this? And so he's looking, he recognizes what? I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to, how to put this in perspective. I don't know how to do it. Where is wisdom? Where can I find it? Where does it stay? It says in verse 13, man does not know its worth and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The deep. You guys see that? The deep. That's the deep darkness. That's the, that's the, the space under your bed or in your closet when you were a kid. You guys, you guys remember those places? Come on. How, how many of you guys, when it was time to go to bed, would be standing like ready for the sprint to flick out the light, run and jump into bed before a thing under the bed could grab you? None of you guys did that. I did. Now, how many of you waited under the bed of your brother or sister to grab them when they did it? Yeah, see? Do we understand the deep dark, huh? So something funny about that. He says, the deep says it's not in me. It's not there. That's not where wisdom is. The sea says it's not in me. Verse 15, it cannot be bought for gold and silver. It cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Ophir, that was the purest gold in the ancient world. <clears throat> Um, gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon, that's the destroyer, and death say, we have heard a rumor about it with our ears. God understands the way to it. He knows its place. I'm going to tell you why God knows this place. Because in Proverbs chapter 8, it describes wisdom as a person. And in Colossians chapter 2, it tells us who that person is. God knows the place of wisdom He understands it. For He looks to the ends of the earth. He sees everything under heaven. When He gave the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when He made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then He saw it and He declared it and He established it and searched it out. And He said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Wisdom is the fear of God, and to turn away from evil is understanding, proper use of wisdom. He lays that out for us in Job. Let's take a look at Proverbs 8, since I alluded to it. Proverbs 8, if you got a chance, read the whole chapter. It's incredible. But we're going to look at verse 11 and 12, 17 and 34 and 35, just to just hit the highlights. In Proverbs 8, 11, and 12, it says, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Now listen, I want you to see what the Word says. I wisdom. That's first person. Right? I wisdom. Dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. In verse 17, I love those who love me. This is wisdom talking. That don't sound familiar. We just talked about that in Deuteronomy and Hosea, right? I love those who love me, and those who seek diligently find me. That sounds familiar too. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jeremiah 29. Everybody has Jeremiah 29, 11 on their fridge, right? To encourage us. Most of us don't know the picture behind it, right? Those were all slaves in chains. Families broken up. Children over there. Moms way over there. Dads over there. Never going to see each other again. And God through his prophet said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of good, not of evil. I want to give you a what? Future and a? Hope. Hope. You read the rest of chapter 29. And... You will find me when you seek for me. Here, wisdom's declaring those same things. Wisdom is saying, I love those who love me. Wisdom is declaring, if you seek me, you'll find me. That doesn't, that doesn't seem interesting to you. Look at verse 34, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 8. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Oh, how happy is the one who will listen to me. Watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. None of that sounds familiar. You don't, you don't remember Jesus saying, Hey, make sure you live your life watching and waiting. Look for me. Blessed is the one who lives his life watching for the Lord. Here, wisdom is making the same declaration. Listen to this phrase, for whoever finds me finds life. Wow. Whoever finds me finds life, while whoever finds the personage of wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So if you have wisdom, you have favor from the Lord. Yeah, I will say so. I would say so, you will. Because as we consider all of these things we just read, I want you now to look at Colossians chapter two, first three verses. Because this to me wraps it all up so we can understand what it is or who it is we're seeking. When we say we need wisdom. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 1. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea. Paul writing to the church of Colossae. In Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, what's his prayer? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. For hidden In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where's wisdom live? In Jesus Christ. Who is wisdom? Jesus. Do you know you need wisdom? Do you know you need it? Because if you need it, you'll seek it. If you don't think you need it, you're fine. You'll be fine. At least that's what we tell ourselves. So first thing we have to realize, if we need wisdom, we need to know, I have a need, and then if I have a need, i got to ask the right person. Who's the right person? Jesus is wisdom, right? We're going to go to the Lord and receive wisdom. But the second thing we need to realize is how it is that God gives in verse 1. How did it say God would give? God gives how? Generously, right? What we want to understand in verse 1 that maybe you won't grasp from the English, is this. The way it's put together, this is in the perfect tense. It is a continual action. Continual. What does that mean? He continues to give. He didn't just give you once. He didn't just give now and again. He's continually giving generously. God is continuously giving. Continuously. Luke 11.13 says... If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Same phrasing. Continual giving. Continually, continually, continually. It's give, 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 give. Give, give. He is continually giving. And how? Generously. Pouring it out. Pouring it out. It says in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. What does that mean? Uh, he gives. How does he give? Generously. He pours it out. How does he do it? According to the power that works within us. What power is that? What power was given us? Holy Spirit, Right. The Holy Spirit, He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit, so to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. What does it say? And my God will supply... What's that next word? Isn't that crazy? Now most of us will say, that has not been my experience. Don't worry, we haven't got to that part yet. It's coming. What does it say? He will supply all or every. Right? He will supply. And how does he do it? According to what? According to his riches where? In In Christ Jesus. Wow. Wait a minute. Didn't we just say that that's where wisdom is? Huh. Earlier, didn't we say that's where love comes? Didn't we say that's where joy is in the presence of the Lord? In the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, we need this presence. He gives generously. But I also want you to see, not only does it say he gives generously, but he gives tenderly. What do I mean? He gives without reproach. How many times do you pray and you think you're bugging God? Ever feel that way? I prayed about this 3,292 times. I'm bugging him. Here's what you need to realize in the tenderness of God. He asks you to bug Him. He tells you, just keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. Because when you keep, what happens? You'll find. Keep, keep. Why? What happens when I keep? What does keeping show? Keeping shows faith. What's faith? It means I'm trusting God. I trust him enough to keep asking. Why am I going to keep asking? Why do I trust God enough to keep asking? Why, I, why am I going to keep doing it? Because I believe he's going to do what he said. Give how? Generously and tenderly. That God's not mad. If you've got a voice whispering in your head that God's mad at you because you're bugging him because you're trying to talk to him too much, that is not the voice of God. So this is what the Bible tells us to do. We'll see it later on in the book of James. First, submit to God. Second, resist the devil and he will flee. What was the first part? Everybody knows the second part, but they don't want to do the first part. What's the first part? Submit to who? Submit to God. I got to submit to God. You can't just run around in your own juice saying I'm going to resist the devil under my own willpower and he has to flee. He don't got to do nothing from you. You are not all that scary. (laughs) Not at all. What you need to do is submit to God. That means I bow the knee. That means I look to my Lord. That means I lay it out before Him. In Jude it says like this, not not speaking a, a, a crazy word on my own, but I say like uh, uh, the archangel Michael and disputing over the body of Moses, the Lord rebuke you. Because where am I strong? Where's my strength? In me or who? In Him. So I need to be in the presence of God? So if I'm in the presence of God and I say I'm resisting the devil, who's given me the juice to do it? Jesus, right? He will give me exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or imagine according to the power that's in me. What power is that? The Holy Spirit. Where would I get that? From the presence of God. Wow, there's a theme going here. Do you guys see it? Presence of God, presence of God, presence of God. Is being in the presence of God important? We need to be in that place, in the presence of God. He's tender, man. God is not mad. He's not upset. I love the story of Gideon. You guys know the story of Gideon? I got a couple minutes. You guys know the story of Gideon? Yeah? Some, some. Gideon had fleeces. You remember And sometimes we we think somehow God was irritated, because Gideon keeps wanting one more sign. Do you remember? Okay, now it's wet, make it dry. Okay, now it's dry, make it wet again. Um, Now do it on a Tuesday. Oh, How about a Thursday? He's got all these ideas for what he needs to see from God, to know it's God. you know God never once got mad at Gideon for that? Because God is patient. He's patient. What does he want? He wants us to be in his presence. And if Gideon's in his presence asking for that stuff, then he's where God wants him to be, right? You're with me. This is a good place, Gideon. I got all the time in the world. We'll get there. Sometimes we got to lay out a fleece. We had that fishing thing this, this weekend, you know. and <clears throat> So I got, my, I got my boat all dialed in. I got to tell you my fleece story. I got my boat all dialed in. Well, not really dialed in. My boat didn't work at all for th- two days. It finally worked the third day. A, a, an angel straight from God blessed me, and, and magically my, my boat was healed. But prior to the healing of my boat, I was trying to do a fleece. So my fleece was, I don't know if I got spark or fuel or compression. And I'm old school. We got any old school guys? So this you know how I check for spark? You, look how smart you guys are. You guys all went to the same school I did. So we pulled the wire off. Now, I'm, this is how smart I am. Smart enough not to do it myself. <laughs> Who do you think I got to hold that wire? Jason, <clears throat> Jason is standing in waist-deep water. <clears throat> now, I'm not trying to be mean, so I'm just going to bump it to see if we got spark. So, bump it. And he goes, Doh! So that was my first sign. It wasn't the last one, though. So that was a good sign. I thought, well, okay, there's spark. We pulled out all the spark plugs. They all looked wet. So I thought I had fuel. It turned out I didn't. But I thought, well, let's uh, crank it over, and we'll get all the fuel that's in the, in the cylinder out. So Jason says, okay, okay. I says, well, while I'm cranking it out, just hold them wires out of the way. Now he's got all four of them. Standing waist deep in water. He lit up like a Christmas tree. I cranked that over. He couldn't even yell at me. He just going. That was my second sign. So from there I decided I got spark. I got other problems. But thankfully we got the boat going. Now. God doesn't get mad when we ask him for signs, but Jason, you're not going to get him to touch another wire. Later on, I said, we had a battery died, so I needed to switch a battery. So I said, Jason, will you switch a battery? He said, no. I'm not touching another wire in this boat ever. (laughs) So it was very funny though. I I honestly thought I was going to have a heart attack as I was trying to it's, it's amazing I didn't, when I finally got air, it didn't suck all the atmosphere out of the world because it was a long time and no breathing, just laughing on the ground. But <clears throat> that's the highlight of fishing. I might not have caught all the fish, but I electrocuted the guy who did. <laughs> all right, I digress. That wasn't so tender, but God is. God is tender. He doesn't get upset when we ask him over and over again. The last thing I want us to remember, I want us to remember God's promise. What is God's promise at the end of verse 1? And it will be given Him. He'll give it. He'll give it. We struggle with that because we say that's not our reality. Well, I'm going to tell you that's not our reality because of the second half. But in reality, God says, yeah, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it. Whatever you ask according to my character, whatever you ask according to who I am, now you have what you ask for. But James gives us further highlight on that. We want to remember the promise. God gives what we need. But we need to ask the right way. How do we ask? Look what it says. In verse 6, James chapter 1. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So he tells us how to ask. How do we ask? What do we have to do? We need to understand a little bit about this doubting. What does that mean? What does it mean to doubt? How many of us have doubted? I'll raise my hand first. I've doubted before. What's he, what's he talking about when he says there's this conflict of doubting? And that conflict of doubting comes back to this idea. We separate the possible from the impossible, and we're the ones who define for God what's possible or not. That's the definition. We define what's possible. Is it possible? <clears throat> I, you, you can go call. Spend your day and go call all the doctors you want to call. And you ask them if it's possible to be cured from HIV without ever seeing a doctor or taking a pill. What's he going to say? Yeah, dude, that's forever, guys. That's forever. That was like 30 years ago, that diagnosis. 30 years later, three kids grown Grandkids coming. Yeah, I don't have it. I have, a, still have the letter at home. We can't explain what happened. I can't explain what happened. I'm not the one to define for God what's possible or impossible. That's God's job. And I happen to know God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. That's either a truth or a lie. And if it's a lie, throw the whole book away. Because none of it's worth anything. If that's true, why do we, why do we go through life like paupers sometimes? Why? God has given us so much. He's given us everything. Let's look at it. We don't want to separate the possible from the impossible. Here's what we know. It's in the middle voice, which means the conflict of doubting is inside of me. So what I'm doing is reducing God. I reduce Him. I reduce God. This is the first part. Don't, don't worry, there's lots of parts. I will uh, uh, either upset or make happy multiple people throughout the next 15 minutes. So if you're angry now, just wait, you'll be happy in a minute. If you're happy now, just wait, you'll be angry in a minute. But as we work our way through, we want just, to. I just want to teach the truth of what the Word of God says. And this is the truth. It's what it says. It's what the Word of God declares. So, as I look at it, look, I, I don't want to reduce God and believe He won't do it. I'll give you an example. You guys know the daily breads. You guys familiar with those little daily breads? They got those devotions in them. Well, this guy, the guy who wrote them, his name was uh, what is his name? Doctor something. Doctor, doctor, doctor. What do I remember, Dahan, Dahan, yeah, Doctor Dahan. So, Doctor Dahan writes it. He gets a letter back from a guy. He bought a house in Maui. Now, you should be happy enough, don't you think? If you got a house in Maui. But he's upset because there's a mountain that's ruining his view on his house in Maui. And he writes an angry letter to Dr. DeHaan. Dr. DeHaan, I was looking at your devotion and its head. If I have the faith of a mustard seed, I could pray to this mountain be removed and cast into the sea and it'd be gone. And I just want you to know, I prayed and that mountain's still there. I knew God wouldn't do it. But, does that sound dumb to anybody else? <laughs> so you already made up your mind God wouldn't do it when you prayed, and God didn't do it. Funny how that worked out. If I'm doubting, I'm, I'm, I'm reducing God. I'm, before I've even prayed, you're not going to do this. And if we're honest, there's a lot of prayers we pray like that. I just know he's not going to do this. I, I know he's not going to do it. Well, maybe there's a reason you know that. Maybe that reason you know that is God's already telling you. Yeah, sorry, brother, you get to walk through this one. I don't know. I just know you don't get what you pray for if you've already made up your decision that God's not going to do it before you pray. Don't ask, doubting, no doubting. Look what it says in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is what to possible impossible to please God. You can't do it at all. For whoever wants to draw near to God must what? Believe that He is and that He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. In other words, if you're in the presence of God where wisdom is, you're in the presence of God where joy is, you're in the presence of God where love is, when you're in that place, you're there, you have everything. Is at your disposal in that place. Everything. Everything's there. In the presence of God, all that we need is there. All of it. So, this, he's making a comparison to doubting in the text. You saw where he said, For the one who doubts is like a wave of a sea. Where do you get that from? He didn't just pull it out of his brain. He's quoting out of the Old Testament. Let's look. Isaiah 57, verse 20. Isaiah 57, verse 20. Isaiah 57, verse 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says God, for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. He said, it's like a tossing, the the waves churning, moving. Uh, The man who doubts is like that kind of sea. Everything in life is just a little crazy. Does that look like your life? He says, this is a doubting Man, this is a doubting person. Literally, the tossed up, it, it means to fan it up. Fan it up, like, it's like fi- fanning the fire of continual unbelief. Is that what we're doing? Are we fanning the fire continually for unbelief? For doubting? You read the Gospels, come to the end of the Gospels. Every time after the resurrection, Jesus appears, it's going to say that phrase in there. And they saw him after the resurrection. Resurrection, but some doubted. But some doubted. What's that? They're fanning the flames of unbelief while they're standing there looking at the resurrected Christ. You say, "How's that possible?" Well, I don't know. I just know I do it. God's delivered me through some pretty crazy things, and I still do it. Why? Cause I'm a man. Part of being mankind means I am fallen and broken. And if I learn anything from the book of James, I hope what I learn is I need to be in the presence of God all the time because that's where the juice is. That's where my power is. That's where the strength is. That's where my faith is. That's where my joy is. That's where my love is. It's there in His presence. And if I remove myself from His presence, what have I done? I pull myself away from the source. Okay, okay. Solomon. How many of you guys have said before, Solomon is the wisest guy in the world and he's not smart enough to know having a thousand wives is bad. (laughs) He can't possibly be wise. Listen, what was given to Solomon is a source of wisdom. It's like me filling up your bank account. You don't ever make a withdrawal, then you don't ever spend any. Where's the source of wisdom? What did the Bible declare? What did Job say? Where's the source of wisdom? Where's the source of wisdom? Over and over and over again, we look at it, we say where is it? It's in God. What did God tell Solomon? He said, "Solomon, be careful not to multiply Don't multiply gold too much or turn your heart away." Solomon, don't multiply horses for you. It'll turn your heart away. Solomon, don't multiply wives. It'll turn your heart away. So what did Solomon do? He did all those things, and what happened? He stepped out of the place, with the resource of the wisdom that he had. doesn't mean he never did any wise things before or after. It just means I'm not there. I'm not standing there. There's a, there's a spout coming out of the ceiling, and down out of that spout is all the wisdom, and all i got to do is stand under it, but I get out of it. I run around out here and then I complain. Well, God, what, you said I'd have wisdom and I don't have wisdom out here. And God says, It's, it's right here. All you got to do is stand under it. Lord, you said I'd have the joy of the Lord, but I don't have the joy of the Lord. I wake up grumpy every day. All you got to do is stand where the joy is coming out. Just picture it. Where does it come out in the presence of God? I choose to be in his presence, guess what I'll have? Joy. I choose to be in his presence, what will I have? Wisdom. Didn't Solomon do it? He he was right there. He had it. He started so good, didn't he? But later on in his life, what happens? Oh, he drifts back here. Now maybe he just gets a little mist of it every once in a while. But he's not in that place where he needs to be. Why? Because the source of that wisdom is the Lord. The source is Him. This is the conflict of doubting. This is the comparison. Not fanning up the flames of unbelief because I'm not in His presence. I get away from the presence of God. When did Thomas doubt? When he was there at the meeting? When he saw Jesus? Was that when Thomas doubted? When did Thomas doubt? Because he didn't go to the meeting, did he? Everybody else saw Jesus and they told him about it. Man, Thomas, you should have seen Him. Jesus came. Jesus came. Oh, whatever. Unless I put my finger in his wounds, unless I can see with my eyes, I'm not going to believe. What happened? He's outside of the presence. What happened when Thomas was in the presence of God? Tell me. Or did he have a hard time? Did he need to put his finger in a hole? Yeah, he didn't have a hard time because he was where? In the presence of God. Boom. We want to have wisdom, we want to express love, we want to express joy. Where is it found? In the presence of God. Look, you're not limited. The presence of God didn't magically happen when you walk through the doors. All that happened when you walk through the doors in here is the presence of a bunch of other people. Prayerfully with each one of us resides the Spirit, right? I need to be in the presence of God. It's not in a building. I need to be with Him Practically. He's given us tools for that. He's given us tools to be with Him, to be in His presence, through His Word, through worship, through prayer, in His presence. That's what He calls us to do. That's where we'll find victory over the doubt. Jesus said, I don't want you to worry at all about tomorrow. How many of you guys are already worrying about tomorrow? Huh. Huh. Already. Uh, it's a reality, right? So, what, what, what did Jesus tell me? Jesus said, there's enough issues now. In the right now. You live for tomorrow, you're going to miss today. And you know what you miss for today? A lot of good stuff. You know what I miss today? I miss kids. I don't remember my kids from baby to probably ten. So what do you mean? Yeah, I worked 90 hours a week. I was a great provider. I could provide what my family needed. I was a lousy father. Because the only thing my boys needed was not money. The only thing my boys needed was not food in their belly. They also needed a father. Because Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, Fathers, teach your children about me. Wherever you are, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, teach them. I was busy. I was doing 10,000 other things. Look, I'm not saying them 10,000 other things are bad, and I'm not telling you all, quit your job and don't work. The Bible says a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So there's got to be a point of balance, no? But part of caring for my family is realizing it's not just all that. Jesus said don't worry about tomorrow live in today you have today there's so many times i was good for nothing because i was so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow Jesus said tomorrow is going to take care of itself you just walk with me today just walk with me today walk with me today he wants us to walk with him he wants us to hold him he wants us to be in his presence so what's the consequence of doubting what's it say in verse 7 For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Now I'm not talking about positive confession. I'm not talking about you working something up inside of you to do anything. There is nothing in you that is going to heal anybody. I'm talking about you recognizing that if I'm going to live... Outside of the presence of God, then I'm going to be in a place full of doubt, and in that place full of doubt, it's just not working out. I need to recognize that I need to be in His presence. I need to be not man centered, but God centered. There's fancy words for that anthropocentric. That's man centered. Theoc- uh oh I don't remember the other one, theocentric, theocentric could be, God-centered. What's the point? The point is, look, it's either, you're either God's and it's about God, or you're yours and it's about you, and if it's yours and it's about you, then you don't care about being in the presence of God, and you're happy being out here where that wisdom's not hitting you, you got enough, you're getting by, you're you're doing the things that you need to do, life's okay, that's, that's fine, your prayers are going to be just like they were before you came in this morning. You want that vibrant prayer life? We want our nation to be able to, to turn around. We're so worried about everybody else repenting, we don't realize that God called His people to repent, not the sinners, not the people that weren't part of His family. God didn't say, if my people who are called by my name will pray that them other people will repent, then I'll heal their land. That's not what He said. He said, you repent. Repent. My people need to repent. Daniel, of whom no sin is spoken ever. I'm not saying he didn't sin. But you can't find one spoken of in the book of Daniel. Praise for repentance. Lord, forgive me. Because he recognizes the failure of his nation is the failure of himself as an individual. Why does he understand that? Where's he at? Presence of God. What's found in the presence of God? Love, joy, peace. Wisdom in the presence of God. Let that man who's outside of those things, he's not, he's not going to receive anything. Verse 8, why? He is a double-minded man. This to me is the, is the key to the whole thing, so hopefully I can give it to you in two minutes or less. He is a double-minded man. When we talk about David, King David, we call him a man how? After God's own heart. The way the Bible discusses that is this idea that his whole heart belonged to God. He didn't have two minds. He had one. Was the Lord. Double-minded means I don't have that. Literally double-minded means I have two souls. Two psyches. I'm in two different camps. I'm in two different directions. How about this? Can a man serve two masters? He's going to love one and hate the other, right? So, when we are double-minded, when we are double-minded, we're the opposite of David. We're, We're a man or a woman whose mind is stayed on too many things. We don't have singleness of mind. We don't have... Singleness of heart. What did God say when we began? Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall do what? Love the Lord with two thirds of your heart, right? A third? A quarter? Ten percent? All, All of it? Okay, so we're supposed to love the Lord with our whole heart. So that means our heart is not divided. Singleness of purpose. Where do we find that singleness of purpose? We find that singleness of purpose in the reality. In the reality that we need Him. If you don't know you need Him, it just don't matter to you. Now, remember in the beginning I told you the story about Hosea? Hosea marries Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute. She gave Hosea three children... After the three children were born, sometime after the birth of the three children, she leaves. Runs off after all her lovers, other suitors, other men. She leaves Hosea behind to raise the three kids. God uses those three kids to tell the story of Israel. The first child's name is Jezreel. He says, in Jezreel, I'm going to judge second child's name is no mercy. So God said, I'm going to judge without mercy. And the third child's name was not my people. So I'm going to judge without mercy because you are not my people. And you have all this... Judgment and stuff that comes later on after chapter 3. But he tells the story of Gomer and Hosea. He gives the illustration in the first three chapters. And then God comes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, go get your wife. And Hosea don't say, Lord, I don't want her no more. She's... doesn't hold no place to me. She's messed up too much. It's over. I'll write her off. God says, Hosea, go get Gomer because Gomer is my people. And where it was said, you will not You are not my people, I will say, you are my people. Where it was said, I will have no mercy, I will have mercy. And so God, through Hosea, shows the power of his redemption as Hosea goes and buys back his bride out of slavery. She's not living a high life no more. She's been run down. It's over for her. And he gives her all those things that she was missing. What was the one most important thing? He gave her chesed. Loyal love. And once she tasted of loyal love, that's what she wanted. I want to be where is that? In your presence, Hosea. Picture. Where is the Hesed? In God's presence. Why? Because I'm Gomer. I'm the unfaithful wife. I'm the one who's running off. I'm the one who's not wanting to be in the presence of God and doing all these other things. And as I'm out in all those other places, I'm complaining. God, you don't answer my prayers. Where are you? You said this life was going to be better. You said all these things were going to be happening. But I'm living out there. I'm not in your presence. He said, in my presence is fullness of joy. In my presence is love everlasting. Man, Second half of chapter two, Hosea is so beautiful as God says, I'm gonna love you forever. It's you and me till the wheels fall off. Once you know God's faithful love, all you're gonna want is to be where he's at. And that can be on your farm, that can be in your family home, at your job doesn't matter. God's not limited by space. Do you guys know that? Yeah, you're you're able to be in His presence everywhere. And if we'll be in His presence, you and I will experience God on a level we have never truly understood. Because so often we live in the second half of this section of Scripture, this paracope. We live in the second half of this scripture and we, we're wondering what's going on. Why isn't this stuff happening? Well, Maybe we're Gomer. Maybe we're out with our lovers and we're not with the Lord. Maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to come to that place where the loyal love of God is poured out. Where our heart can be unified. As we close out this morning, I just want to read this last verse, 1 Kings 18, 21. Just think about this as we we close out in worship. It says, Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you be divided? How long will you be double-minded? How long will you try to have God and Baal? So Elijah says, If the Lord is God follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. They just sat quiet. If the Lord is God, follow him. If you haven't been, repent. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait five minutes. Don't wait 30 seconds. Don't wait for a prayer counselor to get up here. Just repent. It doesn't require anybody else. It requires you and God. That's it. Get right with God and experience the life God always intended you to have. Stop being stuck in no man's land. Get out of no man's land. God never wanted you there. Stand in his presence. Amen? Amen. Once you stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to. Come before you. We thank you for the time we can spend here, prayerfully, God, in your presence. As we worship, as we pray, as we read your word, God, I pray, Lord, that that the people, those who are here today, who know I've been Gomer, I'm out, I'm someplace else, man, and 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 I'm not experiencing all that God has for me. I pray, Lord, that you would lay on them through your Spirit the desire for repentance. All repentance means I change my direction. You're right what you said, God. I'm going to go be in your presence. Lord, I pray that as we stand in your presence, as we spend time in your presence, that we might know there's no greater place to be, that we might experience a love that is inexpressible, joy, unbelievable, hope, eternal, faith that guides us and leads us and wisdom for the struggles that we have. I pray, Lord God, that we would find those things in your presence. God, that it would be our desire to be in that place, to recognize Lord, for the trials that come I need wisdom. The joy I need to lead me into the trials I find in you. The wisdom I lack I find in you. The things I need are with you. Lord, help us understand. Help us learn. May your word find fruitful place inside of our lives. And may it bring forth fruit as we put it in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.